So tonight we're going to close the message with communion and remember what happened on that Good Friday uh, 2,000 years ago. But I want to bring you a quick word tonight. And isn't it good to have the kids in church with us tonight and take communion together as a family? So I promise I'll, I'll move this on quick. And uh, if it's like when I was growing up, there's going to be a lot of pinched elbows and arms and thighs and, student and uh, you know, threats flying around. So we just roll with that. <laughs> so tonight I want to bring you a, a Good Friday message that might seem a little bit different than normal. But I promise if you hang with me at the end, it'll all come together. But one of the things that's important to know is that one of the ways that God helps us understand what Jesus did, is in the Old Testament, everything would point to Jesus. So even before Jesus arrived on the scene, everything that was happening in the Old Testament was all building up and pointing to what would happen in the New Testament. Right? So a lot of the specific things that were, were going on uh, was all really telling the story of Christ, of Jesus. And uh, so there's tons of stories that illustrate this and who God is and how he works in our lives. And theologians call this typologies. They're types and shadows. They give us insight. They help us understand revelation. And tonight I want to go to one of them. One of them is found in Exodus chapter 17. And then we're going to go to another one that's found in Numbers chapter 20. And what we're going to see through these typologies is what Christ offers us through the cross. To tell the story of the cross, we're actually going to go back to Moses. God raises Moses up and calls him to be a deliverer to bring the nation of Israel out of 400 years of slavery by the Egyptians. And even right there in the beginning, slavery is a very clear picture of sin and the bondage of sin. So as they come out of Egypt, they're led by this pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They cross the Red Sea. They're now in what we would know as modern-day Saudi Arabia. And they come to Mount Sinai. And as they're there in the desert, they find that they have no water. They have no water. And that's a really big problem um, because there was about 2 million of them. So about 2 million people in the desert with no water is a big problem. The Bible says there's about 600,000 men and then women and children beyond that. And of course, with those 2 million, you also have all of their livestock and cattle and all of that thing. And everybody is in a critical situation where they absolutely need water. So Exodus chapter 17 says, eventually they camped, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? Wow, Moses is pretty irritated at this moment. But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? Have you ever done that with your family? What should I do with these people? I cry out. They are ready to stone me. 
the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you use to strike the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders to join, of Israel to join you. And I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Now again, when we're, we're talking about gushing out, we're not talking about a minor stream that would trickle from the rock. We're talking about a river that would have had the potential to... to give water to over 2 million people, plus their cattle, plus their livestock. Uh, so this is a massive river that God is saying is going to come out of the rock. And it's a massive miracle. The verse continues, then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told. And as we always happens when we obey the Lord, water gushed out as the elders looked on. So this happens. It's an amazing miracle. You know, Again, they're reminded of the provision of God and how God, you know, not only brought them out of Egyptian bondage, but he's bringing them with manna in the morning and clothing that won't wear off. And now when they're thirsty, he shows that, listen, I'll even give you water. I think it's important for me to note that sometimes in our own lives, we find ourselves in situations where God is leading us, but something that we know that we need at the moment doesn't seem to be available. Anybody else? has something you need in the moment, but it just doesn't seem to be available. So it's a legitimate question to say, well, why would God be letting this happen? As we'll see tonight through the, what God was trying to do with the Israelites is God was actually trying to teach them something. He was trying to reveal more about who he was and his nature that he was a miracle worker, that he was providing, he was trying to help them grow. And sometimes when you have an immediate need and it doesn't seem to be a solution, sometimes it's that God is trying to get you to see more of who he is. Ultimately, God is going to supply their need. We can rest in that. But the issue is never that God doesn't care. It's never that he doesn't have power. It's not that he's not watching over us. Your Bible says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But if there's a situation where there's a need, a legitimate need, and there's not a solution, and you're walking with God, then it could be that God's trying to reveal more of who he is in that situation. So just like we see here, God's going to show the people something incredibly uh, relative to his ability to perform the miraculous. He's going to show them some theological stuff to help them understand what's coming in the future. Not only to them, but for generations to come. We need to remember that there's always more involved than just one life or our own lives. There are people watching. There's generations who will tell the stories of what God did or did not do in our lifetime. There's legacy. Legacy of our faithfulness. Legacy of our faith. Legacy of our tenacity. Of our perseverance and our confidence. Legacy of the goodness of God and his power to provide. All of those things coming to work together. So this miracle happens. It's a great sign. It's a great wonder. You know, this rushing water coming from the rock, giving water to two million people and livestock. Wonderful miracle. But then something interesting happens. 30 years goes by. 
And something very similar happens again. Now we're going to jump to Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. And here's what it says. There was no water for the people to drink at that place. So they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. It's very interesting how quickly all of us can forget the provision of God and God's goodness. That's one thing that I love about Passover. And if you ever have sat in a Seder meal next year, I really have, want to bring that and do that together as a church. But really, uh, the Jewish people will gather at Passover and they will have these certain food elements and each element, that some is bitter and it represents the tears of the people coming out of Egyptian bondage. But every piece of food tells a part of their history and a part of their story and what their ancestors walked through. But it also uh, reminds them of God's goodness and faithfulness that even where they are living today in, in 2023, that God it was faithful then and he will be faithful now. And what I love about the Jewish culture is they really make an art out of storytelling. Amen. How often do we forget the provision of God? Amen. How often do our children and our families hear us questioning God and mumbling about God and complaining about God instead of rehearsing in their ears what God did? We might know that there's immediate needs that he's waiting, we're waiting for him to provide. But come on, it's an opportunity to rehearse and recount the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. So these people should have been like, you know, hey, we were in a similar situation 30 years ago, and God gave us water from a rock. So who knows what God will do this time, right? Not so much. <laughs> Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the temple. There they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff, assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and I will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from this rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told, sort of. He took the staff from the place where he, uh, it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And here's what he says. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. It's very interesting why God is so unhappy with Moses. The command from God the first time was, take your staff, strike the rock, and water will flow. The second time, God says nothing about striking the rock, but he says simply, speak to the rock, and when you speak to the rock, water will flow. Moses obviously is in a bad mood, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, irritated. It's probably hot. He's probably sunburned. You know, it's just a disaster of a day. We've all been there. So obviously you can kind of sense that tone when he looks at the people and says, listen, you rebels, you know, listen, <laughs> it, it, you know, and in his anger and in his wrath, he disobeys the command of God and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. 
And it's interesting to me that God is so angry at Moses that he says, listen, when the people get to the promised land, you can't go. Did you ever have a master plan that you had set? You've dotted every I, you've crossed every T, and then one person doesn't follow the instructions, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Isn't it a frustrating situation? What God's doing is he's trying to tell a story through the rock. He's trying to reveal, and well, I'll get to what he's trying to reveal in a minute, but he's trying to reveal through what happened in the first rock and what happened in the second rock to what Jesus would do at Calvary. So his instruction was very important that it would be followed, but because Moses in his anger disobeyed, he messed up the plan. He messed up what God was trying to do. The fact that God would be so mad at him lets us know that there's something happening here bigger than just Moses having a bad day, right? It wasn't just, you know, that he disobeyed God in a minor way, you know. But this rock was to be a spiritual picture. 1 Corinthians 10.1 says this, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Now, this comes as Paul just has told the Corinthian church, he said, listen, we're all in a race and we're all runners, but only one runner gets the prize. And and, and in other words, what he's he's trying to say is, let's not take our Christian, let's take our Christian faith seriously. Let's, Let's put in every effort. He goes on to say to the Corinthian church, he said, listen, I, I, I buffet my body. I beat it into submission. In other words, he says, I'm disciplined. I'm self-controlled because I want to honor God and I don't want to be disqualified from the race. So then he is writing this and he goes on to say, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. What does that mean? It's the idea of baptism. They actually went through the Red Sea. Together with Moses, they went through the waters, coming out of bondage. Remember I said in the beginning, which was a symbolization of sin. So they came out of bondage, went through the Red Sea as a symbol of of baptism, right? And he says, all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the the spiritual rock that traveled with them. That rock was Christ. He's pointing a clear picture. The rock was Christ. So when Moses strikes the rock, he's striking what God was setting up to be a symbolization of Christ. So that when the people would drink from the rock, It's that they were drinking the living water that only Jesus could provide. It's a metaphor. It's a typology. But Moses got in the way. (laughs) Remember Jesus with the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Later on in verse 14, he says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Just like water cleanses, 
Just like water quenches our thirst, just like water is a necessity to sustain life, so salvation, that living water, cleanses us from all of our sin. It quenches our thirst. It gives us eternal life. Isaiah 55 reminds us, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. It goes on to say, drink all you want. It doesn't cost any money. Salvation is free. Whoever will may come and drink without charge. Drink the water of salvation. So how do we get living water when we've been separated from God? That's what Jesus was trying to let the Israelites know of what was coming. He was letting them know that not one person is righteous, not even one. He's reminding them that all had fallen short of the glory of God. That prior to Christ, we were all enemies of God. So how can we be at peace with God when we're not, uh, you, you know, we're not even friends with God? How can we be family with God when we're enemies of God? How can our sin be taken care of? The story in Exodus 17 and the story in Numbers chapter 20 give us the example of the rock. It's a picture of Christ. So the first time the rock was to be struck and water would come gushing out. The second time the water was to be or the rock was to be spoken to and water would come gushing out. So what does all this have to do with Good Friday? I promised I would tie it up here at the end. On that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, your Bible says that Jesus was struck for us. That he was struck that he might bring forth living, life-giving water. That we would never thirst again. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. God took our sin, he placed it on him, and God punished him righteously for our sin so that when we come to him, we can receive the living water that's flowing from him. Amen. So now jump to the second rock. The Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take your staff, assemble the entire community, and as the people watch, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and the waters will pour out. If you speak, you will be satisfied. Now, here's what I want us to see. The first time, in order to receive water, the rock had to be struck. But after that, the rock only had to be spoken to, and water would flow. Are you with me tonight? This is what the prophet was talking about when he says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. He personally, 1 Peter 2.24 says he carried our sins in his body on the cross, that we can be dead to sin, for we live in what is right, and by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. I love that the Old Testament speaks of what Christ would do because it reminds us that long before we were ever looking to him, he was looking for us. That long before we ever thought about coming to him as our savior, he was already saving us. I love that. So how do we receive living water? See, the first time it was a strike, which symbolizes work. 
Jesus would be struck once for all the sin of humanity and water would flow. And after that, he'd never be struck again. Do you see why God got so angry when Moses messed up the plan? He said, listen, Moses, I'm trying to teach him something. That after the water flows, after Christ is struck, all you have to do is speak. And water will flow. But sometimes we can get like Moses in our anger, in our dishevelment, in our attitude, and we can try to work it by the arm of the flesh and try to strike the rock again. And what does God do? He says, listen, you'll never enter my promise as long as you're trying to do it by the arm of the flesh because Christ was struck one time and that's all that it will ever be. What I have is yours freely for all who speak to the rock, talk to the rock, ask the rock. So my question is, are you hungry tonight? Well, we are entering, ending a 20-day fast. But beyond that, are you thirsty tonight? You know, if you're weary and worn down and you just feel overwhelmed and like there's the weight of the world and a burden on your shoulder, the rock was struck so that you could have life-giving free water flowing to you. So what we look at on Good Friday is we look that he was struck on the cross once and for all. Are you glad about that? Once and for all. So team, you can come. We're going to move into receiving communion together. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. Are you weighted down? Is there a burden on your shoulder? Speak to the rock and water will flow. Speak to the rock and water will flow. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to receive communion. We're going to do a little bit differently. I want you to get up from your your seats as we begin to sing this next song and come up and you'll see a communion cup there. It still has the lid on it because we don't want you spilling everything on the way back. And uh, I do clean the carpet, so I don't want you spilling everything on the way back. Uh, But we we took away the wafer tonight and I want you to just get a tangible piece of bread. But I want you to hold your communion when you get back to your seat because we want to do it together as a church. Amen? Amen. So, all right, let's stand to our feet and you can go ahead and begin to come forward and receive your elements and we're going to worship the Lord together.
I got one up here willingly and one not. That's all right. I thought we're doing it tonight as families together, and I know some of our younger kids are in, in kids' class, but he was struck once, and it was done. The rock was struck once, and it was done. I'm just going to say it to you again because somebody has a situation where you're wondering what you have to do to resolve it, what you have to do to get out of the sinful situation or the burden. But Good Friday reminds us, communion reminds us, the rock was already struck. It's done. As Jesus sat with his disciples, and we're going to do this together, so if you have kids with you, help them out. Jesus sat with his disciples, and he took a cup, and it had some juice in it, because there's kids in the room. It had some juice. And he took that cup, and he said, this juice is a symbol. And he had some bread, and he broke the bread and said, this this bread is a symbol of my body. Whenever you come together, I want you to remember that the rock would already be struck. The body was already broken. And now life flows freely. So tonight we're going to partake of the bread together as family, as community, as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ. And remember, it was done once and for all. In Jesus' name, let's partake and take the bread together. I was at another church this week, or a few weeks ago actually, but there's a Jewish believer there, and uh, the church had used bread like we are tonight that has leaven in it. Man, did he give me an earful. It wasn't even my church. I would just happen to be at an event. But I thought it was all right tonight to use some bread with leaven in it. I don't know why I told you that story, but in case you're wondering. Anyway. And then Jesus took that cup and he said, Once and for all, my blood would be spilled for the remission of your sins. Just as he spoke in the Old Testament before we even were on the earth pointing to Jesus so he spilled his blood in the New Testament pointing that when we live in our day and in our generation there's no sin no calamity that his blood can't reach let's partake of that together Let's sing that old hymn, O the Blood. Say, O the Blood of Jesus. O the Blood of Jesus. O the Before we dismiss tonight, 
There's a woman in the Old Testament, and I was just impressed by this, so go with it. But the God was sending his armies to invade her city, and in doing so, she decided to help them. And they said, all right, when we come in because you helped us, you have to tie a scarlet cord on your window. And we will know that that scarlet cord means that we don't touch your house. So it was in the Old Testament when the Bible says that because of Pharaoh and all of his sin that the angel of death would come. He said, you just apply the blood over the doorpost. And when the angel sees the blood over the doorpost, it will pass by your house. I'm just so impressed tonight of the generational impact of the cross. That believers throughout history have gathered around that cross to remember and to celebrate the work that he paid. And tonight there are other generations in the room. So I want to ask if you are with family tonight. I want your families to gather and hold hands. If you're not with family, then just gather somebody's hand beside you. And we're going to sing this again. But we're declaring it not only over ourselves, but our children, our children's children. Do you know, how do I put this? Because there's the kids. Inside the female are already the eggs of what will be our grandchildren. There's already another generation present. Isn't that cool? So when we plead the blood tonight, we're not just talking about me and I'm not just talking about them, but I'm talking about the generations that will follow. So let's declare this over our families again. Say, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. of Jesus it washes white as snow one more time with all of your heart for every generation coming come on oh the blood oh the blood of Jesus come on it's strong enough and powerful enough it reaches to the lowest valley it reaches to the highest mountain Oh, the blood of Jesus. Come on, it has enough power today to drive every devil out. Has enough power today to break apart every chain and weight of the adversary. Because the blood of Jesus still works, church. It still works. Come on, come on. One more time. With all of your heart. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Let's declare it. Save. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the precious blood of the cross. Father, we thank you tonight for the blood. We plead the blood. We plead the blood. We plead the blood. Wash us whiter than the snow. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd be amiss if I let us leave this room and not offer the opportunity for you to receive living water from the rock. Tonight, 
just as we learned from the Old Testament, all you have to do is speak to the rock and the water will flow. So tonight, if you're watching online or you're in the room and you want to make a personal decision to invite Jesus into your heart, now is the moment. Today is the day. There's nothing in your past. There's nothing even in your future that's strong enough to stop the blood of Jesus from reaching you. All you have to do is ask for it. So I'm going to pray this. I want you to repeat after me, everybody together. But if you're praying this for the first time, I want you to pray it with all of your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I stand before you now. And I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Tonight you've shown me that the rock was struck once and that was enough. So I receive living water from the rock. I receive eternal life. I receive salvation. And from this moment on, I'll never be hungry again. I'll never be thirsty again. I confess you are Lord. You are my God. And I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. In Jesus' name, let's give the Lord a praise offering tonight. Come on, if you prayed that in the room tonight or you prayed it online, we want to get some resources in your hand to help you. Stop by Connections or go to the Know God tab on our website and you can get all that information there. I want to thank you for coming out. I don't know, tonight it just seemed very significant and different. After Easter... I'm going to start a message series on the end times. Because he came once, but he's coming again. And I don't know, and I'm not prophesying this, so don't play this back next year. All right. But the Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man. We could leave here for whatever reason, or we could leave here because Jesus comes back. And I'm just so impressed tonight that how do we know that this wouldn't be our last opportunity to gather around the cross and thank Him while we're on the earth for the work of the cross. Do you know the angels stand in amazement because they don't understand, they, they, they can't comprehend the redemption that we have. There was an offer to them. That's why it says it's our story, it's our song. And I don't know, I just felt like we're pilgrims tonight just gathering back around the cross. And I just want to say, I feel like you've touched God's heart for just even coming. For just even showing up. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that we could gather around the cross. It's a privilege and an honor. Considering the price that you paid. I pray tonight as we go from this room and we get ready for resurrection day. We know that Good Friday is good because Sunday is coming. We go with anticipation that what you did on the cross wasn't it. It wasn't over. But there was more to come. So tonight as we go as blood-bought children redeemed by our Heavenly Father, we ask that you go with us in Jesus' name. Let the church shout amen.